0: Um, if you've got your Bible, it should fall open to the book of Luke. We are still in the, the book of Luke, and uh, today we're in Luke chapter 19, uh, and we're going to be looking from verse 11 to verse 27, and we have one of the stories that Jesus told uh, in, this, in this passage, and you, as you hear it, you're going to at first think, I know this story, and then I think you're going to think, oh, wait a minute, this is a little bit different to the story I thought I knew. And so... The title for my message this morning is, Is Jesus Your King? And so, although this Jesus story or this parable uh, today is similar to the parable of the talents, who's heard about the parable of the talents from Matthew 25? Okay, two people. Anyone else? Just take your pulse. Have you ever read the Bible? Okay. If you if you've, uh, know of the parable of the talents, you're probably thinking of the one that's recorded in Matthew 25. And although the story form is similar to the one we're going to uh, read today, it's actually told for a totally different reason. And so it's the same type of story, but it's told for a different reason. In fact, Luke tells us that in Luke 19.11. He records this in the NLT. It says, And because he was nearing Jerusalem, he told them a story, and here's the purpose, to correct the impression that the kingdom would begin right away. And so I think some people, as Jesus was approaching Jerusalem, some people, particularly those who were part of the zealots, they were, some of Jesus' disciples were part of a group of people called the zealots, and they really wanted a a king, they wanted a Messiah to come and to deliver them from Roman rule. And some people, remember what they did when they all threw palm branches down and they proclaimed Jesus as king? Some people were wanting Jesus to become king over them as a political king, as a king who would deliver them from Roman rule. But Jesus tells them the story to tell them that I am a king, but I'm not, it's not going to happen right now that there's something else that's going to happen first, and we'll see that in the story. And so the story is brought on by misplaced expectations about timing. I'm sure you've never had a misplaced expectation about timing, hey? You've never said, I thought this should have happened by. Well, these people had that problem. Jesus, as he was approaching, he decided to tell them the story because of this reason. But through the story that Jesus told his listeners, he told them of a story, which we'll read in a moment, of a noble man. Uh, 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 a noble person who goes away, they're just a person, they go away, they're a noble man, but when they return, they return as a king. And because of this, there are two dynamics in the story. There is a noble man who becomes a king, and there is someone who goes away, but is going to return back again. And when he returns, he comes as king. And so, what this story addresses Is how subjects of a king ought to respond while he's away. That sounds like another king who is currently away, but who's gonna come back again. Does that remind you of a certain king who has left the planet? He was just an ordinary man, he was just a noble man, he was a good guy, he was a good teacher, he's a good rabbi, but then he went away, but he's actually the king of kings. And the Bible says he's coming back. And so this story is to people saying, how should you respond to that person who's gone away, but who's actually the king who's going to come back? So let's read the story. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable. Because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. And he said, therefore, Here's the story. A nobleman went into a far country to receive a kingdom for, for himself, a kingdom, and then return. Calling his servants, he gave them 10 minors. So just pause. A minor is each of these 10 people get given a minor, and a minor is equal to about three months salary. And so he said to them, engage in business until I come. So, I'm going away. I'm giving you this minor. Engage in business until I come back. But his citizens hated him. And they sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, so having become a king, he ordered these servants to whom he had given money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. What had they done with what he entrusted to them? The first came before him saying, Lord, your, your miner has made 10 miners more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you've been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities, not 10 miners, but 10 cities. And the second one came saying, Lord, Your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, you are to be over five cities. And it's implied, well done. Then another came saying, Lord, here's your mina. And I don't don't know if it's mine or mina. Can anyone help me? Mina, mina. Here's your mina or your mina. Here's your mina, which I have kept, laid in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you're a severe man. You take what you do not deposit, and you reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank and... At my coming, I might have collected it with some interest. And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. I hope you had coffee this morning. Can you see this is a different story to the one in Matthew 25? So the questions that we have to deal with today are, why does this story matter to me today? What does it tell me about King Jesus and his kingdom? And how does this story tell us we ought to respond to Jesus? This is an important story for us today. Let's just pray. Let's ask for the Holy Spirit's help. Come, Holy Spirit, we invite you. Thank you that this is your word. Jesus, these are your words that you spoke. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help me and you'd help my brothers and sisters. As we listen to your word, we say, God, would you speak to us today? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's dive right in. Firstly, we have a command. We have a king who makes a command. So, one of the things that makes a king a king is that they have authority, right? So, if a king says jump, you say, How oh, high? Okay, so kings have authority. They have the ability to say something to someone and they expect that person to do what they have said because they're a king. And so if we look at verse 13 in two different translations, it says, calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minors and said to them, engage in business until I come. That's the SV, the NLT says, invest this for me while I am gone. So essentially the command was Take what I've entrusted to you. Here it's money, but I don't believe this is a parable only talking about money. We'll broaden it later. But for these guys, he was saying, take what I've entrusted to you. I've given you something. Take what I've entrusted to you and do something with it. Be productive for my benefit. So you do something with that for me. This wasn't this man, this king, asking them to do him a favor. This also wasn't a suggestion. Now, if you'd like to, this is one of the things you could do. Is that the nature of what he's saying? No, this is not a suggestion. It wasn't giving them an option. Well, one of the things you could do amongst the many things, no, he was telling them to do something, to take what he had given them and to multiply it, to do something productive with it. And here's the thing. Some of us have got issues with authority. When someone in authority says, do this, you're faced with a predicament. Because there are only two options, really. And so it's not surprising that in this story, there are two options. There are two responses to the authority of this person saying, take this and do this. What are the two responses to authority? Well, the two responses are, accept or embrace the authority that made this request, and because you embrace the authority, you obey willingly. That's the one response, is yes, I actually accept your authority. I accept your right to ask me to do something or to tell me to do something, and I do it. I obey. When you obey an authority, it means you're actually outworking the acceptance of your relationship to them. You're an authority, I'm a subject to you, and so because you said it, I'm doing it. So that's your first opportunity, or your first response is that you accept the authority and therefore you obey. What's the second one? You reject. You reject. You sit there thinking, who the hell are you? Excuse my French. You sit there and you think, Who do you think you are to tell me to do that? So you reject the authority of the person making the instruction and you turn it into an option of, Well, I'll decide whether or not I will or won't do it. Do you know what I'm talking about? And so, although verse 14 says, it says that his people hated him, as you read the story and as you go through it, you realize from their responses, not everyone hated the king, but some did. And so, in Jesus' story, we find both these responses that I've already spoken of. We find some people obeying because they accept his authority, and we find some people rebelling because they don't accept his authority. And so in Jesus' story, there are two people who obey his instructions. They knew what he wanted from them, and they acted accordingly. Those are the guys in verse 16 and verse 18. And then there's another group of people. There is one person, but I believe he represents more than just one person. There is one person who hated the king's rule. Can you see he's rejecting his authority? You are not my king, is essentially what he's saying. And so because this person rejected the the king's authority over them, they converted a command into an option to be considered. I know you said this, but I've decided to do this. And so Luke records of this group of people, this one guy, the third guy is just an example of a group, and Luke says that, verse 14 says, that they hated the king in their hearts Can you see that that's where the action came from? The action, him hiding that one minor, the action came from a heart issue that actually he hated this king and he didn't want him as his king. And so Luke records that these people were a few things. They were rebellious. Verse 14, we do not want you to be our king. They were rebellious. Secondly, they were disobedient. And so the third servant does not do what he's been told to do. He does the opposite of what he's been told to do. Thirdly, and this really struck me, he was dishonest. Why was he dishonest? Well, if you read it, he's trying to keep up the appearance that he's serving the king while he's actually rebelling against him. Why do I say that? Well, he actually says, Master, I hid your money to keep it safe. But that's not what he was doing. He was not hiding the money to keep it safe. He's acting as though he did something for the master's best interest, but he was not doing that. In fact, what he was doing was rebelling with disobedience. So he's dishonest, and then even worse, he's dishonoring. This disloyal, rebellious servant blames his actions on the master's harshness. He, 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 he basically switches on a victim narrative here. And he says, you are the reason that I acted like I acted. And so I'm absolved. I, I'm not responsible because you're such a harsh person, I was free to act like I acted. Can you see how it's a victim mindset? It's saying, well, because of this, I can do this. And so he's dishonoring. You are the reason. You're a harsh man. You you reap where you haven't sown, and so I'm right in doing what I did. Now, servants should willingly do whatever's been entrusted to them for the sake of the one they serve, for their king. But bad servants resist a king's rule, and they resist his reign in their hearts, and they don't uh, obey because they're being rebellious. Now, let's just pause for a moment. When you read a Bible story, one of the good things to do, I think often, is to try and place yourself in the story. And if you always, yes, I'm Jesus in the story, you just need a cup from the person next to you, okay? <laughs> but when you read a Bible story, it's good. There's normally different responses and there's different characters, and I think it's a really helpful thing to say, who, who am I in this story? And before you say, I'm the good servant, it's important to just ask yourself the question, how is my current life response to King Jesus? So you have a king, and he's away at the moment, but he's coming back. And he said many things, and in my notes it says, hold up your Bible here. I'm a pastor without a Bible. Does someone have a Bible? Is there a Bible in the house? Thank you, there's a Christian. (laughs) Hallelujah. Lungi claims it's on her phone, but we know she's in Instagram right now. (laughs) Guys, we have a king. Where is he now? He's away at present. Can you see how Jesus is talking about himself? And he's told you some stuff. He's given you something. He's given you commands and instructions. The question is, before you place yourself in the story and you say, I'm the good servant, just think about the commands of Jesus in this book. Some of you don't even know what he said because you've never opened it. What has Jesus said to you? Is this just an option or is this a command? Is the Bible a list of suggestions? Well, that's really interesting. But Oprah says, is this a command from a king? Or is this just, that's an interesting book. Thank you so much for a Bible. So I want to ask you the question. Just close your eyes for a moment. Place yourself in the story. There's a king in the story. He's away. He's given some commands, just like King Jesus. The question is, there's two types of responses in the story. There's the obedient, faithful servants who say, yes, Jesus. And there's others who, by their life actions, are saying, no, Jesus, Jesus. What's your current life response to King Jesus? You can go open your eyes. When you read the Bible, Jesus says a lot about almost everything in life. Maybe maybe you're working through something at the moment, and someone's hurt you in a really bad way. But the Bible says you must forgive just as I forgave you. But you don't know what they said. Which servant are you being? The Bible says, forgive just as. And you say, yeah, but which servant are you being? Malachi says, do not withhold the giving that you should give me so that there might be food in my house. And you think, yeah, but I've got a few things I need to sort out. Which servant are you being? The Bible says that you're not to sleep with anyone. You're not to have sex with anyone except your husband or your wife. You say, but but I just love them so much. Which servant are you being? Can I go on? Brothers and sisters, this is what the king has said. Which servant are you? Jesus is not just a good guy. He's not just a great teacher. He is the king of kings. Amen? Third thing I want to point out from this story is verse 17. Faithfulness defined. So Jesus unpacks here what He says faithfulness is. And He doesn't just define faithfulness, but He tells us how He responds to faithfulness with reward. And that's the amazing thing. You should be so encouraged by this because it not only tells you what faithfulness looks like, but it actually tells you how will God respond to those who are faithful to Him. You see, there are two people in the story who hear the command, take what I've entrusted to you and do something with it. Be productive for my benefit. That's effectively what they hear. And there's two people who obey and they do What God had asked them to do, what this nobleman had asked them to do, they do something with what was entrusted to them, and they multiply it, they make it work for his benefit, they put it to work, they do something with it. And the king is pleased when he comes, and he says this, well done, good servant, you have been faithful. And so what we've got here is we've got Jesus describing the concept of faithfulness, or the concept of what I would call stewardship. God has entrusted things to you, not just money. He's entrusted time to you. He's trusted resources to you. He's entrusted friendships and opportunities and gifts and talents. We just had Cindy uh, standing up here saying, yes, Jesus, before she said yes to Gareth. She said, yes, Jesus, I'll use my talents. We've got the, the band up here saying, yes, Lord, you can use me. We've got people who got you early to set up sound saying, yes, Lord, you can use me. God's entrusted so much more than just money to you. He's entrusted a life to you. And Jesus defines faithfulness as doing all that you can with what he's entrusted you with. I love this quote from Rick Warren about faithfulness. He says this, Faithfulness is accomplishing as much as is possible. Say as much as is possible. <laughs> with the resources and talents God has given you. Did you notice that Jesus doesn't say well done to the guy with 10 and then like, say, what did, how come you only produced five to the other guy? No, 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 he rewards both of them equally because the one produced 10 and he gets 10 cities to rule over and the other one get, produces five and he gets five cities to rule over. And so Jesus is rewarding in the story both of those people who did something with what he entrusted to them. I love this definition of faithfulness because it's doing all that I can with what God's entrusted me to. So there's no place for comparison. Because I offered to the team this morning, there was no drummer this morning, I offered to the team to drum, and they declined. I mean, I was horrified, because they knew I would not bless you by drumming, because God has not entrusted that to me. I do not have rhythm. Yesterday I was at an event, and most people who go up start singing a song. I didn't. God hasn't entrusted that to me. You get the the idea? You must never look at someone else and say, I wish I was like them. Because God did not make you them. Do you think he made a mistake? Oops! No, he made you fearfully and wonderfully, Psalm 139 says. He made you just the way you are. There was a season in life where I would stick stickers on the mirror for Nadine. I would say, be yourself, everyone else is taken. And I would put things like that. Hey, babe, you are just the way God made you. Stop worrying about being like someone else and just be who God's made you. Take the talents, the time, the resources, the, all the things God's input in you and use those for God's glory. Amen? My personal testimony, you'll know this, but I thought I'd got to slip it in once more. I'm living for two words that are in this passage from one person. Well done. I just want to hear well done from Jesus. I don't really mind if you say it, but I want to hear it from him. Because he knows how he made me. He knows what he entrusted me to do. And he knows whether I did it. Because he he can't be fooled. And I want to live every waking moment. I want to use every fiber of my body to please God because I know He loves me already. And because He loves me, I want to give my whole life back to Him. So that one day I hear, well done. I'm not trying to get God to love me by my good behavior. I'm loving Him because He's loved me first. And I'm laying down my life for Him. That's what a servant of Jesus, wants to do. They just want to hear, well done, because they did everything they could do with what they were entrusted with. It's irrelevant what God entrusted other people with, but what did He entrust you with? Whether it's money, whether it's possessions, whether it's talents, whether it's time, whether it's opportunities, what did God trust you with, and what are you doing about it? And so I want to ask you, don't you want to hear those two words said over you one day? The passages like this and the passage in Matthew are so inspiring to me, they've become my life verse. Don't you want to hear those words? Brothers and sisters, now is the time. While the king is away, now is the time to live in such a way that you won't have, if only, on your lips when he comes back. Now is the time. You can make a decision today. So I want to ask you, what are you doing with what God has entrusted you with? What talents are you sitting on? And God wants you to use them. God has given you one precious life. And how you use that precious life will determine how you experience eternity. Don't misunderstand me here. Good people do not go to heaven believers in Jesus do we're not saved by our good behavior or our good works amen we say by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone amen but don't for a minute think that everyone is all the same in eternity in heaven just tell the person next to you everyone it's not communist heaven is not communist everyone is not the same in heaven you see, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible does not teach that it doesn't matter how you live in response to Jesus. The Bible says that you can only get to heaven by putting your faith in Jesus, but then it teaches that how you respond to Jesus really matters. And this is one of those places, and if you want, I can give you a whole lot of other scriptures. Come to me afterwards, and I'll give them to you. But the Bible in many places teaches that there is a reward, that there is a blessing in heaven for the faithful servant of Jesus. And so this morning, I'm really talking to you on two realms. One, if you have never made Jesus your king, this is the day for you to make Jesus your king. Amen? Do not waste another minute, because you do not want to get to the end of this story if you have not made Jesus your king. The second group of people are those who've already said yes to Jesus. I've got the Jesus t-shirt, but do you have the Jesus life? Is Jesus the king on your lips or is the king of your life? So there's two groups of people here. And the second group of people, this is what Jesus is trying to inspire here through the story. He says to the one who took his one minor and made it into ten minors, he says, Because you've been faithful with that little, I'm going to give you so much in eternity. Jesus is inspiring us with rewards. You see, depending on how you responded to the love and the grace and the mercy of King Jesus, depending on how you stewarded the things he entrusted you, that's how heaven will be impacted. And so here in Jesus' story, the first servant who took the one mina and multiplied it into ten, Jesus says this to him. And he said to him, well done, good servant, exclamation mark, because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. You might say, what does that mean? I have absolutely no idea, but it sounds good. He just had three months salary and he did something with it and he gets given the authority of 10 cities. Sounds like a good deal, right? That sounds like up. Jesus is telling by the story that how we handle this life, this life is like a test. How you handle this life, how you handle your opportunities, your relationships, your, all the things I mentioned earlier, how you handle those things in this life will determine the things God entrusts you with forever and ever and ever. So how you handle this life will affect your experience of eternity. And a faithful carrying out of your stewardship of this life will result in even greater, a a magnificently greater magnitude of responsibility in heaven. Brothers and sisters, although we save by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, do not for a minute think it doesn't matter how you live. It really does. Just tell the person next to you, it matters how you live. And so I want to ask you again, how are you doing? Which of these servants are you currently? Maybe this is such an important morning for you because the amazing good thing about the Christian life is that at any stage we can say, help me, Jesus, I'm not where I need to be and and repent and ask him to help you and your whole life can change in that moment and your eternity can change as well. Let's look at the next lesson, which isn't as nice a lesson faithfulness, unfaithfulness exposed and punished. Remember, there's only two responses when you get a command. The one response is obedience and faithful, loving response. The second response is rebellion and disobedience. And so Jesus makes a very sharp contrast between the faithful servant and the unfaithful servant. Let me just read it again quickly from verse 20, "'Then another came, saying, "'Lord, here is your mina, which I have kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you.'" Do you see the victim narrative? He's blaming Jesus, blaming the master there. "'Because you're a severe man, you take what you did not deposit, and you reap what you did not sow. He said to him, "'I will condemn you with your own words. The very things you're saying to me now, those words will condemn you, you wicked servant.'" You knew I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit, reaping what I did not. sow. why then did you not put my money in the bank so that at my coming I might have collected it and at least got some interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has 10. And they said to him, Lord, he has 10 minas. I tell you that everyone who has even more will be given. So he gets given 10 cities and another mina. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. The little bit that I entrusted with you, you're not keeping that anymore. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. In this parable, the king calls the servant what he is. He is wicked. That word can be translated evil. His hatred of the king led him to rebel against the king's authority. And so the, the king punishes this wicked servant, removing, he, he instantly gets punished by having it removed from him. He, he loses his Mina and he sends him to be slaughtered. And in that instant, everyone would have known this king is really a king because he demanded obedience or else there's punishment. Just think about your life for a moment. While Jesus is away, remember, he's given you commands. Imagine I'm holding my Bible that I forgot to bring. His commands are in here. He's commanded you to do things. And he's coming back. He's away at the moment, but he's coming back. And so the question is, how are you responding to the commands of Jesus? Have you believed in Jesus as your king? Have you asked him to forgive you of your sins? I love these two quotes about hell. Dane Ortland said this. You can avoid hell. Anyone can avoid hell. Heaven is not for the deserving. It is for the repentant. Heaven is not for the good person. Heaven is for the person who's repented and said, I'm not good but I ask you to forgive me. Can you see that? Hell is not for the undeserving, it's for the unrepentant. Do you see how different that is? C.S. Lewis famously said that hell is the greatest monument to human freedom. Those who said God, something horrible to God in this life, those who chose to live apart from God in this life will get what they chose forever. Hell is a monument to human freedom. So I want to say to you this morning, if you've never made Jesus your king, fall on your knees and repent today. Say, Jesus, I know I'm wrong. I know I've done I've done bad things. There's things I haven't done that I should have done. There are things that I should have done that I haven't done. Lord, would you forgive me? I'm not the faithful servant here. I've been the unfaithful servant. But God, would you forgive me? And the Bible tells you that if you confess your sin, he's faithful and he's just and he'll forgive you. That's what church is for. This, this church isn't for good people. This, is, this church is for repentant people who have asked Jesus to forgive them. That's what this church is for. And if you have asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, then don't live like the unfaithful servant. We're coming to a close. I want to ask an important question Is my God like this king in this story? And I want to say no. He is the absolute opposite to this man who was called harsh and severe. You see, Jesus, when he was on this planet, he also appeared to just be a good man. He was walking on the earth, but he's actually the king of kings. But unlike this harsh nobleman that's recorded in the story of Jesus, the God of the Bible is gracious and merciful, as we heard during worship. He will punish anyone who rejects his authority. So in that way, he's like this man. He will punish those who reject his authority. But here's the remarkable thing. The God of the Bible responds to your rejection of him and my rejection of him in the most remarkable way. It's too good to be true. Ever since Adam and Eve rejected God in the garden, men and women have been coming out of the womb, kicking and screaming against God. You, this is the story of your life, and it's the story of mine. We don't grow up believing in Jesus. We grow up rejecting His authority of our life. How does God respond to our rejection of Him? Here's the remarkable thing. The Bible tells us the story that God moved towards our rejection of Him. He moved towards those who hated Him. He came for those who hated Him. He left his throne, he dies in our place for our sin, and he offers his life for ours. He takes the punishment that should have been ours, and he dies in our place, so that we can have our sins forgiven. Brothers and sisters, you might have been shocked at the end that the servant is slaughtered. Your king was slaughtered for you, so that you will not be slaughtered. If you simply ask him to forgive you of his sins, isn't that the most remarkable thing? We're about to have communion. That red juice is reminiscent of the blood of Jesus. He was crushed for our iniquities, Isaiah says. He was slaughtered so that you will, will never be slaughtered if you put your trust in Jesus. Is Jesus the same as this king? He's totally opposite. He was slaughtered so that we can be restored to a right relationship with him. And so we can have a heart that loves him and accepts his authority. And so we can have a heart that wants to serve him with the rest of our lives. And so this story for me warns us of the judgment to come if we haven't put our trust in Jesus. And it contrasts this king, this nobleman, with our king, King Jesus brings me to my final point. In this story, the nobleman comes back as a king. He left just as a nobleman, but he comes back as a king. Our Jesus is coming back as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Some people thought he was just a great teacher, but he's coming back as king of kings. And so this is the question, is Jesus really your king? because he's promised to come back, just like the man came back in the story. Some people do not want him to rule over them. In fact, there are many people who do not want Jesus to return at all, but he will come back. And so the question is, are you ready for him to come back? Have you put your faith in Jesus? That's the first question. And if you have put your faith in Jesus, are you living like he really is your king? Or are you just saying he's your king, but your life is demonstrating something else? Friends, the question is, on the day that Jesus comes back, have you repented of your sin? Have you asked him to be your king? And if you have already, are you living like he really is your king? Let's hear those words over everyone in this room. Well done, good and faithful servant. Just close your eyes. Yes, this isn't a nice, fluffy passage, but passages like this are so helpful to us if they help us to consider our lives, if they help us to evaluate ourselves, because better to evaluate yourself now than to be evaluated later. Amen? And so why don't you just take a moment? I want to ask you, do you know about Jesus or do you know Jesus as your king? The only way to know Jesus as your king is to ask him to become your Lord and Savior. To say, Jesus, I know that I haven't lived the way you would want me to live. I know that I'm a sinner. But today I repent. Today I say, Lord, would you forgive me of my sin? And would you wash away all my unrighteousness? And the Bible says, he will. That's why he died for you. Just by praying like that? Yes, just by praying like that and saying, Jesus, I repent of my sin. I believe you're God. Please forgive me. Amen. And so maybe you need to pray a prayer like that before you take communion. But for the rest of us who have believed in Jesus, I think it's also healthy for us to say, Lord, would I hear well done over my life if I was standing before you right now at the end of the age? Because I don't want to hear the words coming out of my mouth. If only I had. But I want to hear the words that come out of your mouth Done, good and faithful servant. And this morning could be such a help to you if you're a Christ follower to just decide again God, I want to live every moment of my life obeying your commands. Not to try and get to heaven, but because I'm already there, because I'm loved by the eternal God. And so I want to love you back. Why don't you just tell him, even as you hold in your hands, you hold a biscuit that represents. His body, this is a reminder, I was slaughtered for you so that you'll never be slaughtered if you put your faith in me. Just let thanks well up in your heart. Just thank him. And when you're ready, why don't you take that that little biscuit and just thank him even as you eat it. Just say, thank you, Jesus, that your body was crushed for me so that I could be accepted. And as you drink that little glass of grape juice, just say, thank you, Jesus. Just say in your own words, you can speak to God under your, under your breath. Thank God that his blood flowed so that you will never face the punishment for your sin. But you'll be rewarded for how you respond. So just take a moment. Let's not be in a rush. Just be quiet and take a moment.